Why niggas? Bernard pulls the trigger. And this is a brand. Niggas is a brand. Allen Houston. Niggas just mean Lord. Once a neck, always a neck. The New York Knicks are once again standing strongly and proudly at the bottom of the NBA with the 3-10 record. After coming <laughs> off a thrilling victory against Kristaps Porzingis and the Dallas Mavericks, they suffered a heartbreaking loss last night at the hands of the Charlotte Hornets, and we're here to talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned in to the Knickish Show. My name is Mo, and I'm here with two of my partners, Osama and Teddy. How you guys feeling? What's up, guys? Yeah, heartbreaking loss indeed yesterday. Um, great week for us though because we did get another win under the belt. But you win some, you lose some, and yesterday was pretty depressing. Yeah, welcome, folks, to another uh, episode. And uh, yeah, it's some highs and lows this week. Um, MSG was rocking, and it was quite a game. We were in the house for that one, and of course, we just lost on a game winner yesterday. So right back down to earth. <laughs> but the Mavs game was I, I've been to I've been to a good amount of Knicks games the last few years or so and that was the most in game insane game that I've ever been to. One of the most insane games to, to see, I guess. I I would say in the last ten years, that's that's definitely top five best games. I don't know if you guys agree with me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been to a bunch of games too at the Garden and that was honestly the loudest I had ever seen the the crowd we all knew going into it this was going to be like our super bowl this was going to be for us the time to like get really jazzed in a in a season where we're probably not going to win that many games um i thought i don't know a few of us thought the knowing the previous week on friday beating the maps at home we thought they would come in and probably destroy us as a revenge game for that on top of the fact that we had just lost to the Cavs by so many points too and fizz was on the hot seat I really expected an L, but I knew the the, the ambiance in the game was going to be amazing. Um, we had really good seats. Um, right off the bat, you could just tell the vibe outside of MSG. Everybody was buzzing. Everybody was ready to get in there and boo KP. And like you said, this was honestly the loudest I had ever seen the crowd. And I think that's honestly the only reason we ended up winning that game. I think all of us, all three of us mm -hmm. and everybody else pretty much guarded KP from the opening <laughs> whistle to the end. Yeah. That's for sure. And I, I just want to say, Barclays could never. Barclays could never. Could <laughs> never. Barclays could never in their life. I don't care if you get Ky Kyrie. I don't care when they get KD next year. I don't care. It's never going to match that atmosphere that just is unique to the Garden and Knicks fans. Like, we're just different. That's just how we're built. And what, what were we at the time? Like, 2-9 and nine or something? Like... That's and we're out here acting like it was like a championship win when we beat the yeah. Mavs at home. Um, I just want to say that the Garden was lit all night, but man, when Frank Nilakina was guarding uh, Doncic and he like ripped the ball from him, I don't think I don't think it got any louder than that. Like everyone is just so excited about Frank Nilakina, um, and he's been really you know taking advantage of his his game um, as of re as of recently. Yeah, what were what were some of the chants that we definitely are that we definitely remember from that night? I obviously we were booing any second he touched the ball. I don't. I really genuinely don't believe he held the ball ball longer for than you know two seconds, maybe even three seconds. 
and we heard we heard booze. Uh, mm-hmm. We heard we heard no means no. I was kind of hoping that I'd get a little louder. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, that was a um, controversial one, but yeah, I was surprised that a whole huge section of the fans were just chanting "No means no," no which chill. I think, uh, yeah, a lot of time it got it got drowned out by the KP sucks chants. Um, yep. So there were a lot of like three syllable chants. Um, asshole was there a was big one. Asshole, asshole was a good one yeah. too. There's a there's a great moment actually on ESPN where they're showing the highlight of uh, KP at the free throw line and with everybody chanting "asshole" in the camera. Um, yeah. shoots over to the audience and you just see like a 50 60 year old woman uh just chanting asshole asshole <laughs> yeah. or um I, yeah even earlier in the game when uh they were showing celebrities on celebrity row and we were chanting kp sucks um they got they went to a huge fan favorite uh, john stewart and zoomed in on him and you could see he was chanting kp sucks too right alongside everybody <laughs> so that goes to show uh, it's it's not just the the everyday fan that's so obsessed with the Knicks, like we said. Barclays could never. You have the celebrities over here coming in to chant KP sucks at a game, which is insane. I mean, at the end of the day, I didn't care whether the Nets got Kyrie or KD. I always knew um, the Knicks were going to be the, the biggest team in this city, and it, they're always going to be like that forever. We also heard um, a bunch of people like shout random obscene things at KP um, throughout the game. <laughs> things about his brother, things about his uh, personality and stuff like that. And we don't have to get into them on the show, but it was just insane. And um, a lot of people touched on this in the media, but um, the fans were super loud, but they weren't really, you know, angry. You could tell a lot of people were just there to boo and there to like be loud, but they were very happy. Like every time you pan around, everybody has a smile on their face. Um, everybody was just there to have a good time, honestly, like, 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 you would have when you go to a football game just get really loud now, and have a good time let me let me ask you guys something because while we enjoyed it very much i know a lot of knicks fans enjoyed it i know a lot of people from around the nba were saying how it's a bad look on knicks fans and they're like oh this is the reason why players don't want to join the knicks because they are ruthless now what do you guys what, what do you guys say to people who say things like that do you guys mm. think it's a bad look for knicks fans to start chanting asshole to chris Stas? because their point is it wasn't entirely his fault which to a point it is not. It's not his entire fault that he's no longer on the New York Knicks. Uh, part a lot of that blame does go to the organization. But you know, what's your response to to other people around the NBA who say things like that? That's why the Knicks are the Knicks. Yeah, those are the same people that are just leading the LOL Knicks, um, you know, crowd. And I'm not. I don't really put too much stock into what they're saying. Um, I think Knicks fans are very smart. We're passionate. We see through a lot of the bullshit. And we call out what we call it like it is. Um, if our players aren't performing well, um, they get booed. If and when they do do the right things on the court, we just shower them in so much love and appreciation. And I think that's so so unique for MSG because where else do you guys see that role players like Bobby Portis are getting showered with chants, like literally having the garden chant their name when they put in a, like a good game? And similarly, like. I think KP did a lot of things wrong with his departure. Um, he could have kept it classy. He could have thanked the fans. He could have, you know, just said, it didn't work out, guys, but thank you for drafting me. Thank you for giving me all the opportunities you have, and I love you guys. I'm on to Dallas now, right? And I think this this booing, this angry reaction that he got um, on Thursday would have never happened. I don't think Nick fans are the type to boo a guy who thanks them, appreciates what they've done, and, and just says, hey, I, you know, I got traded, can't do anything about it, mm-hmm. but still, you know, gives the respect to the Knicks fans. What KP did was 
he wanted to play the social media game and act like, you know, shit, well, I'm not going to tell you guys what happened, but, you know, figure it out, and here's a picture of me and Doncic, and I guess I don't really care about the Knicks fans. So, it's it's a little bit of, you know, KP was really acting immature um, the way he left, and he wasn't really classy, and we could see it when the Garden was clapping for Tim Hardaway Jr., because, you know, <laughs> that's a guy that really underperformed. <laughs> Um, we gave him a huge contract, and he underperformed from us. And but the way he left was classy, you know. I I remember when he left, he thanked us for you know giving him a shot, and that was awesome to me. Um, I think Tim Hardaway is still is still struggling as a player, and he he did get booed, but um, here and there, but only just as an opponent. We didn't we weren't disrespectful to him like we were to mm-hmm. KP. And I think I think that's 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 the that's the end of it. Like. Knicks mm-hmm. fans are smart. We're we're intelligent. We see through the bullshit, and you know the media heads could talk all they want, but we're we're just a good fan base at the end of the day. Yeah, you hit it on the head. I mean, at the end of the day, Knicks fans are like a really passionate partner, right? We, in, in other organizations or other, for other uh, fan bases, you might not get as loud boos as you did in MSG the other night, but at the same time, like Teddy said, you won't get as loud of cheers for being an ex-player like you would. Um, in MSG for instance um, like you said Tim Hardaway got cheers whenever we see the team play any ex-Nick they always get cheers in the starting lineup when they get announced at the end of the day um, uh, KP did end up apologizing for his words but it was too little too late right and the Garden is always going to remember that ultimately what we see in the media narrative is that you left right you decided you wanted to leave or that you wanted to hold the organization hostage and for yourself and your brother to have more um, power within the organization before you resign, <clears throat> you also there were also rumors that you wanted to resign for the max um, without any stipulations in your contract about your injury history. Which, again, even guys like Joel Embiid who are balling out right now have um, those kind of stipulations in their contract. So, it, to everybody who's a fan, it just feels like if KP had any right in this argument he didn't give himself a good case because at the end of the day it's easy to just go on social media and say oh nobody knows the full true story nobody knows what really happened but then you never want to allude to what happened so you can't be mad about everybody being angry about you leaving because when you were here you were adored like you were a god here everybody literally called you a god or a unicorn and then you leave and the first thing you do like you mentioned is share a picture of you and Doncic. of course everyone's going to hate that fans in new york are really honestly like this is from an objective perspective are really some of the smartest fans in the entire league like you said they'll know exactly when the team is playing poorly and they'll know when the team is playing well and and boo or cheer based off of that because they're smart they understand they're not just a layman who's just sitting in the audience and just cheering along whenever we score or don't score sometimes they'll boo whenever we do score because it wasn't done in a proper way it's because it's it's an iso or whatever so i mean at the end of the day if you're going to leave this team you better leave it in in the proper way because very few people are on the list uh, of getting booed when they come back to the garden and unfortunately kp is one of them now but i think he acknowledged that in his post-game uh, pressers like we mentioned before in our last podcast it's funny that kp thought um it might there might be some cheers when he returns. I mean, uh, um, uh, I, 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 but yeah, you could tell he was visibly upset and visibly affected yeah. by them because every time he touched the ball, he would pass it right off oh within God. a second. Every time, um, he, every time he got in the first quarter, yeah, every time he got in the first quarter, he was trying really hard to score, but he would keep missing and everybody would get on his case for it, which 
was such a fun atmosphere to be in because you can see him as he walks back to the bench clearly visibly upset that he's not shutting the crowd up and i don't think there was anything he could have done to shut the crowd up i mean he had two he had one put back dunk and one put back layup and nobody cared the, the garden was the loudest when randall was posting him up and he decided to flop out of nowhere like you are the tallest man on the court and somebody on the opposing team who whose fan base is booing you endlessly right now is posting you up you're the tallest man on the court one of the best perimeter def- one of the best paint defenders in the league and you decide to throw yourself and flop in the middle of that and you expect nobody to get on your case <laughs> i'm just so glad the refs are the mvp for that game i'm just so glad they didn't call a foul on that one because if they did i think the game would turn around and not only not only that but it would also be bs because we know this and we didn't want to admit it before but kp used to flop a lot when he was with the knicks and now it's very easy to see when he's on another team that he's not the clear-cut superstar that we once thought he could be mm-hmm. right yeah. now let's let's move to the actual game itself on in this game me personally i think i would say this was one of the most complete games that we can see from our squad everybody was basically playing their role accordingly uh and everybody had their own you know not everybody but like for the most part a lot of our important players had their moments when they needed to we saw Frank, uh, you know, trying to lock up Doncic in the fourth quarter. We saw RJ with a spin around slam dunk, which was probably the best play of the game, apart from Marcus Morris's three pointer that he did to to close out the game. Everybody had their moments. Mitch had his putbacks, or he had his alleys that he got. And Dennis Smith Jr. We got to give him a shout out because after a huge funk from the, the the whole season so far, he came in, scored 13 points, had eight assists, six rebounds, and he had some nice highlight plays. We'll talk about Charlotte later on how he played. Bobby Portis, four for eight, uh, and you know Randall even had some strong strong moments. He he had a double double, seventeen and ten, and he did limit his turnovers to just six. You know, uh, <laughs> but it wasn't it. He had he had some strong plays in the fourth quarter. There was one rebound that he got that was necessary. So he was playing the right way. Do you guys think that this lineup can get more wins if they play like the way they did against the Mavs? Realistically speaking, if I if the boos weren't there and it was just any other team, is this lineup truly at this point talented enough to win so, four games? So, so one thing I remember intestinally talking about in our last episode that was so rage, uh, rage-filled was that we needed to run more pick and roll, right? We were one of the bottom teams in the league um, of running pick and roll. And what we saw in that game was we initiated a lot of our sets with some pick and roll action in the beginning. That got not only Frank um, involved in the game, but it got DSJ involved in a game that was like super crucial for him to come in, him and Mitch to come in and really take over the game. So that pick and roll game between them, the one five pick and roll that I was asking for last game um, happened pretty much in this one. So that was good right off the bat. And it was kind of annoying to see Fizz basically uh, relent to everybody and essentially say, yeah, like, and I need to finally start running pick and roll, and guess what? We got a W out of it. But on top of that, um, I asked for having Taj Gibson in the lineup and getting more minutes so that we can see some defense on the floor, and that's what happened. So with Gibson playing, um, you had uh, Mitch come off the bench, but at the same time you had some uh, semblance of a pick and roll screener and a defender in the lineup, which also helped create space for the guards, create a space for kickouts, and we saw that. There were a lot of threes being made. We shot the three way better than the Mavs did, which was a surprise, and then we were able to get to the rim easily, like DSJ was able to, and throw up some lobs for uh, Mitch. So those are two very simple facets that you can roll into the game to get this lineup going a lot better. But in my opinion, and 
something that can tie this back into the, the Hornets game yesterday. This lineup is not going to win games if we keep reverting back to the stupid offensive sets. Well, it's, it's, it would actually be an embarrassment to call them offensive sets because I don't <laughs> I see any say. offensive sets. Um, just, you know, just jumping into the Hornets game this time. Um, we saw the same lineup, but we saw them not utilized properly like they were in the Mavs game. We saw a lot less pick and roll being run, and we saw a lot more ISO sets. And honestly, I mean, we don't have to wait for it. I think we can talk about the last play of the game for this one. You saw it very clearly in the last play of the game. No play was drawn up for that. Um, it was very clear to see before that that no other guy than Devontae Graham or Malik Monk was going to shoot a three there, um, having the Hornets down by two. And yet a guy like Fizz... All he should be doing, telling his team during the timeout before that, is guard the perimeter and leave the paint open. If they score a two, they score a two, but that way the game is tied at least. You do not leave the perimeter open whatsoever. And yet somehow he had Mitch in there. And granted, Mitch can guard the perimeter, but he had him camped out inside the paint. So Frank was essentially guarding two guards outside, one of them being Devontae Graham, who's hot all game long, um, shooting a clinic out there, and then ultimately what we saw happen was Frank slid over to the ball handler and then he passed it off to Devontae Graham for the easy three and they go up by one. Everybody and their mother could have seen that play coming and yet Fizz did not instruct his team to guard the three-point line. But that's just the constant problems we have with a guy like Fizz. He just doesn't understand basketball, man. It's easy to be an assistant coach when you're coaching the likes of LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. But it's not easy when all of a sudden those three guys turn into Julius Randle, Marcus Morris, and Taj Gibson. It really like, goes to show that Fizz does not understand anything about basketball. And then his chance to redeem it was to run a play with two seconds left on the other end. And ultimately what we got was five guys standing around for the entire five seconds to inbound. And then it was inbounded last second. Mind you, we have... So the only guy that was going off for us, RJ Barrett, not on the floor. Oh um, Marcus Morris, the only guy who can hit a clutch shot at the end of the game was inbounding the ball. (laughs) And then you have, of course, Fizz thinks he's so smart by putting in four shooters um, uh, um, on the court and then having Julius Randle in the middle and pretty much telling the other team, oh, we're going to definitely pass it to any of the shooters on the floor. When everyone and their mother knows you're going to give this off to Julius Randle in the middle of the paint because you've done that every single time this season so far. And guess what Julius did? we were down by one point, too. Yes, we were down by one point. we didn't even need a three-pointer. You we know, just needed to, any smart coach would have had us run a play getting us into the paint or getting an open three. Yeah. Those are the two only efficient shots that you can get in two seconds. And he did neither of those. He had Julius Randle posted up at the top of the key like he does every game, all game long. And he got it to him. He missed the, He airballed the shot and he didn't even get it off in time anyway. Mm-hmm. So it didn't even matter. That's just no play calling. There was no off ball yeah. movement. There was no screen set. Nothing. How do you... Why do you waste timeouts? Why do you waste all of our time for 30 seconds or 60 seconds so that we can watch that in the end? Just call, call that play from the beginning then because it's not a play. Why are you wasting screen time at this point? Like he has to be paid by advertisers at this point because he's just getting people screen time to advertise their commercials. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to also add, um, yeah, that, that ISO play was very disappointing. Um, it, like, like Osama said, it just was the stupidest. It was the most predictable thing he could have done. And yet, that's what we we hinged the game upon. Julius Randle, what was it like, posting up and just shooting some nonsense shot at the end. Um, I just want to add that I, I feel like Fizz also thought for some reason that we would get maybe fouled on that play, like as if the refs blow the whistle on the last possession of the game oh, for God. a game winning, you know, game winning possession. I don't, like you can, 
you can see clearly that refs do not call the foul often on those kind of plays, you know, um, game winning, game on the line kind of type moments. So it's just idiotic in all, in all you know, facets uh, for Fizz to really think that was going to work. And really now with the talent, sorry, uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but with the talent that we have on the lineup, basically the question was, are they talented enough to win more games? Apart, from, obviously, uh, Fizz is Fizz is a big deal, but based mm-hmm. off the way they played against the Mavs in particular, because we saw at the end of that game, it was Marcus Morris, who is arguably the best scorer on the team, you know, take that last second shot. Is this team talented enough to win more games, or are we are we destined for the bottom of the league? Yeah, I, I would say that we're destined for the bottom of the league. Um, not because... So Fizz is definitely a big part of it. Um, but on the other hand, we do have talented players here. But they really haven't um, fit together the best, in my opinion. And I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think that this is going to be a season where it all comes together. Um, I think Julius Randle was really a disappointment for all Nick fans. Um, I've, I've seen him getting you know, dragged through the mud recently. Um, and I think that was like the core piece that we're supposed to build this team around. And when you don't have the core piece, you know, really performing to the level that we expected, it, it just makes everything harder. So we've got a lot of good pieces, a lot of young guys that might be blossoming this year into something special. So guys like Frank and Dennis Smith Jr. really got some nice potential. R.J. Barrett showing off, um, you know, what he can do. Kevin Knox becoming a knockdown shooter. These are all really positive things. And, of course, Mitch, um, you know, showing us more what he can do, um, working on the fouls, fouling out situation that really plagued him last season. So we've got a lot of nice pieces. I just don't see us putting it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I kind of have a theory for, for at least for last night's game, for that one shot. I think Fizz is kind of jumping back and forth between the idea of developing the talent and actually winning basketball yeah. games. And I think for as far as last night goes, he's like, fuck it. Randall <laughs> is our number one guy. He got that 60, 62 or $64 million contract. Let him get that shot. He's supposed to be the go-to guy anyway. Let's see, let's see him knock it down. And he didn't. Uh, and that's why Marcus Morris was one inbounding the ball because clearly he wasn't the guy who was supposed to take the shot. Mm-hmm. And and we saw the opposite in previous games. He gave the veterans more minutes, the young guys, but now he's fiddling back and forth. But as far as my personal take goes on whether or not they're going to win more games, I don't I don't believe we're going to be it's – it's a hot take, but I don't believe we're going to be blown out as often as we were at least in the first 10 games. I don't think we're going to really see that, particularly because we have Mitch back. And if Dennis play, plays the way that he's supposed to play – Last night wasn't so good because he just kept fouling, but I I liked what I saw in the Mavericks game, and if he plays like that, Frank actually has a backup point guard that he can rely on. It's promising. If they can start putting it together, if Julius Randle starts learning how to be a number one guy, but at the same time limiting his mistakes, I think we're going to be a lot more competitive, but I, still, I believe we'll still be a bottom five team at the end of the day. Yeah. Now... Go ahead. Yeah, here's my thing with that. Like, I totally understand giving the ball to Randall in the last minute. He just did not put him in remotely of a position to succeed. When you have um, our second top gun in Marcus Morris inbounding, that creates a lot less pressure for the defense. When you have nobody moving around, nobody setting screens, that creates a lot less pressure for the defense. When you have Randall parked out very far away from uh, the rim, that creates a lot less pressure for the defense. When you don't 
run any semblance of an inbound play um, ever throughout the entire game that creates a lot less pressure for the defense. And so I have no issue um, allowing the young guys or allowing Randall to take the reins. I have issue with them not being put in positions to succeed. And that's kind of why I feel Randall's struggling for most of the season so far is that, yes, he does make a lot of boneheaded plays, but I think that's facilitated by the fact that he's put into these systems and being directed with things that he's not traditionally meant to do and is not the right person to do. And so at the end of the day, as much as we can say um, Fizz is doing good by giving the younger guys minutes, like he, yes, granted, uh, give him props that he's reintegrating Dotson back into the lineup, which is something mm-hmm. a lot of us ask for. A 3 and D player, please put him in because Wayne Ellington is struggling anyway. But when you do that, I mean, all you're doing is making small lineup tweaks that people have been begging for for weeks and not making any actual offensive game adjustments or defensive game adjustments, and you're getting killed by a zone from the other team, then th- th- that's just really on the coach. And at the end of the day, as much as I agree with you that this roster, in my opinion, wins at least 30 games by itself, um, I think it'll win less than that because mm-hmm. we do not run any semblance of any kind of play style or system. And so until Fizz is gone, in my opinion, as much as I love the dude personally, until he's gone, um, I, I don't see this team um, really being very competitive in a lot of games. Because right now, a lot of it I see is just from guys stepping up emotionally and mentally because they know they're all under pressure. But as the season goes on and people wear out and people understand um, the Knicks a lot better, um, I don't really see wins coming by easier, especially knowing that mid-November, after these next couple of games, uh, we have a really tough schedule leading all the way through end of January. That's going to mm-hmm. be a killer. That's going to be a killer. Now, that being said, we are going to move on to our first break. So we'll be right back after this message. This episode was brought to you by our latest sponsor, Atlantic Airlines. At this time of year, don't get bogged down laying bricks in this cold. Ignore your troubles as a head coach and book your flight overseas. At Atlantic, you'll find your dream destination for the job you've always really wanted, and the job you're really meant for. Maybe as a gondola driver in Italy, or a stunt double for an Irish potato. For a limited time only, Atlantic are offering all of our podcast followers the chance to fly themselves and any friend who's conveniently named Fizz overseas to a destination (laughs) of their choice. Book your last-minute getaway and get away. Seriously, get away. Get far away from where you are right now. Atlantic Airlines, don't just stay here. Please go somewhere else. <laughs> wow, we got Atlantic Airlines up here? Yeah, wow. man. It's a, it, was, it was tough. It was tough getting them on, but um, you know they had, they had to pull through. They, they saw a very seamless integration with, uh, with our head coach, and it, was just, it just made sense for all parties, really. Now, are they sponsoring <laughs> that air ball that we saw um, towards the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. Anything related to the air. It's a, it's a lot of stuff for this team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good shit. All right. So with De- with guys like Devontae Graham, who I had almost never heard of before because I'm, I'm not really playing fantasy this season, but this was the first time I heard of this guy. Lit us, lighting us up for nine threes at MSG. Guys like Kobe White from the Bulls lighting us up. And then even guys like Tony Snell lighting us up. Are we are we in trouble with perimeter defending? Because we we do have Frank Nilakina on the team, and he is, as we say, a very good defender. What's what do you, what do you guys think is going on with our perimeter defending? Are is that definitely something that we need to really look into? At yeah, this point? so good question. Um, so with our defensive scheme that right now, um, I'm seeing Frank basically guard multiple people, um, and I think that's something that Coach Fizdale's really worked into his game plan. Basically, make Frank guard everyone. While everyone else takes, you know, plays off. 
and it's really working out. It's working out well, um, and we saw that in the uh, in the Hornets game. Um, so I have no idea what the what the plan is going forward, but I'd really appreciate it if Fizz could maybe you know tell those guys to all guard the three point line. That that would be really convenient. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very nice. Frank is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. We know that. But who else do we have, right? Um, we have a little bit of a few good stints with Damian Dotson, um, but not really anybody else. Even RJ, I feel, has taken a step back a little bit on defense recently, and that might just be because um, all those minutes are finally getting to him, even though they've dropped a little bit over the past few games. It just feels like he's just coasting a little bit right now, um, which is understandable. He's he, This is the first time in his life he's playing this many uh, games in such a small window. But for me, um, when you know we're one of the worst uh, perimeter defending teams in the league, um, it's very uh, obvious to start inserting um, some of your defensive players into the lineup. But what's not obvious is something that Fizz has implemented, which is running a zone defense. So the thing is with running a zone defense is, yes, you might cover up for a lot of your uh, teammates' um, defensive um, I- issues lapses, and inefficiencies yeah. and lapses. But the one thing you leave yourself vulnerable to in a uh, a zone defense is a lot of three-point shooting, which is why it's baffling to me um, that we've been playing that defense so much when every single game we get lit up by everybody on the three. So essentially, that's kind of why, like Teddy, you mentioned, you see Frank guarding so many players in the perimeter because in the zone, you have one guy basically sag off a little bit into the um, like behind the line and one guy on the perimeter, and they're essentially set up one near the elbow and one near the top of the key and that way you're essentially cutting off any drives into the paint and cutting off any drives to drives toward the baseline but what you do is if anybody sets any screen on you the one guy that's out on the perimeter is now caught up in that screen and nobody's going to pull like nobody's going to step up to try to hedge on that because um they're in a zone defense so um just guys like Devonte graham are just going to light us up and i'm glad you mentioned fantasy because that's the only bright spot of yesterday's game because I have Devontae Graham on my fantasy team. Picked him up <laughs> nice. off the waiver wire the first week. So, I mean, I just the way he's been playing has been insane. And that, that kind of bothers me because we see guys like him on the Hornets who we thought were going to be an absolutely garbage fire team to start the season. Um, guys like him really step up and create a name for themselves in this league. And it makes me really sad because I just want the same thing for the guys on my team. But unfortunately, they're not being put in a position to succeed like that. So, um, you, yeah, it's you, just... You didn't know? You didn't know we're the best uh, development team that there is. <laughs> just, just not for our guys, I, but I've you know. heard rumblings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did such a good job with Tim Hardaway Jr. Like, uh, I remember we drafted him, and then we sent him to boarding school, and then we resigned him for seventeen million a year, and that <laughs> that development really worked out. He's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, everybody, I've beat, I've beat, like a dead horse on this like i i honestly think a lot of our issues will be fixed if we just switch the head coach and find somebody with some sort of semblance of a system because this team on paper is not that bad it's just i understand there are some deficiencies with the team like everybody wants to say too many bigs too little defense um the guards are not efficient enough the guards can't step up no true point guard etc etc but 
with the team with the players we have on the team we already knew at the beginning of the season which players we had on the team on paper and yet everyone still predicted at least 25 to 30 wins for this team no one said playoffs people were just saying 25 30 wins and now that we're on track for less than that people are saying oh it's really on the front office for the players they brought in but we had made predictions knowing which players they brought in already so to me Mm -hmm. what that says is that's on the coaching staff that's now on the product that we put out there after we already made predictions based on the players we saw we can't in the beginning of the season say i really love the signing of julius randall and i love what he brings to this team and then afterwards say oh i can't believe we signed julius randall (laughs) typical knicks they always do this like absolutely ridiculous and we're only being reactionary because of what the coaching is showing on the floor please give a guy like pop a team like this and they will make this even a, a like a fringe playoff team you see him do it year in and year out with guys like Bryn Forbes. Who the hell is Bryn Forbes? But he's a three-point lights-out shooter. Because at the end of the day, what you need to design a good system and a good team is everyone needs to know their role. Everyone needs to contribute in the way that's specific to their talents. And when you have a team where you're asking everyone to overextend, when you're asking, uh, oh my God, I almost said Carmelo Anthony, but yeah, you're asking Marcus Morris to be Carmelo (laughs) Anthony. Oh my God, oh my God. And you're asking Julius Randle to be Draymond Green and LeBron and your James ask, combined and LeBron James combined <laughs> if, if he feels like it and then and you have guys like Mitch you want him to be prime Shaq and you want you want Bobby Portis to be Steph Curry it's just it, it it does not make sense for the team it does not make sense for anybody and then on top of that you say dumb shit in press conferences like when somebody asks you, why are we running so much isolation when we're not a good isolation team? Oh and you say, God. and you go out there and you say things like, oh my I don't see anybody bitching about Houston doing it. They do it for a thousand minutes a game and they do really well. Team. It's, yeah, they're <laughs> not just, not, he named a player too. They He's have like, oh, you know. James Harden James and Harden Russell does Westbrook, it. two of the best <laughs> iso- isolation players. We have Frank Nilekina and Alonzo Trier. You're telling <laughs> me that compares. They're not the same? No, uh, yeah, I, I had to rub my eyes the other day and check again, <laughs> but they're not the same. And as a coach, it was very endearing when I saw when he wasn't on my team to hear him say things like, take that for data. Because, you know, it really it really calls to our internal underdog tendencies to want to like root for the guy who's pushing back against the system, right? I'm like, yeah, I really want that kind of guy for my team to energize my players because he'll back my team up no matter what and really push back against the media. He's perfect for New York. But then, after that, he says something like, "Oh, I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not worried about playing RJ too many minutes. You know, he can handle it when guys like when superstars in the past like LeBron and stuff have handled it." I'm like, "Okay, a little bit of a red flag. Not too sure about this one." Then he says things like, uh, "This Houston isolation comment," and I'm like, "Okay, like this is absolutely under like like not understandable whatsoever." And then he puts out a, a product on the court like he's doing now. Then you start to realize, oh. Grizzlies fans might have been right this whole time. Now I see why he had frictions, friction with Marcus All. Now I see why the fans uh, ended up souring on him at the end, and why nobody was, nobody except for guys like LeBron and Wade were the ones pining for him in the media after he got fired. And I'm like, why? He seems like such a great person, um, such a great uh, people's coach, and yet only players that played with him on championship teams 
were the ones that were pining for him. Nobody from Grizzlies fans was saying, I'm really sad about this firing. And now we see what they've been saying, that he's a snake oil salesman, that he's a used car salesman, that he's somebody who talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. And now we're seeing him flop in terms of talking the talk too because he's saying all the wrong things in the media and he looks like he's aged 70 years throughout it. Damn, son. It's tough. It's tough being yeah. just like uh, uh not sure what's Teddy. Doing. I I have we're gonna start wrapping this up. But I do. There was a question I wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. particularly on the lineup that we have. I know you personally weren't too big of a fan of of the product on paper, but mm-hmm. in general, just just for the the point of winning games right now, who would you say is the most important player on the Knicks roster right now to help us win games? Ooh, that's a tough one because if the goal is to win games. Um, I think you have to lean more on the vets just because I don't think the young guys are necessarily ready to step into a role like um, Marcus Morris is. Um, and Julius Randle's trying. Um, but if the goal is to really win games the right way, um, the most important the most important player on our team right now is, is Frank Nilakina and I would also say RJ Barrett because I feel like you get these young guys, playing the right way and being competitive i think you grow them they're the most important you know they're the more, most important people to invest in right now but i i get i do think that you know the most important guy to get us wins is, is probably marcus morris which is weird because that's not even a guy we expected to take that that role in this team mm-hmm. and now he's just outplaying his contract in general and that's definitely something i want to ask you guys too is like where do we go from here because let's say by the trade deadline like we're terrible. We're like a bottom team um, in the league. We're not going to the playoffs. We're not being competitive. And what, yeah, we have this guy, Marcus Morris, who's probably going to get a lot of attention from other teams. Like, do we just pawn him off and try to get, like, some assets? Or do we try to re-sign this guy and try to make him, like, our go-to vet for these young guys moving forward? Like, where do we go with that? Like, No, you're absolutely right. We yeah. do not keep him. We're not a competitive team. You 100%, 10 times out of 10, sell super high on him. This is the highest his value has ever been. He's actually looking like prime mellow out there right now with the way he's scoring. (laughs) He is. Um, So you sell super high. Like, you take advantage of this. This is one of the few bright spots. You sell high, try to get a protected first rounder, try to get a low first rounder, something out of this at the deadline that'll help you build this team a little bit better. And you keep doing that with these. This is why I was happy with us signing these one-year deals, one-plus-one-year deals, because it does give us a little bit of leverage in terms of we can keep them next year if they play really well, or we can Mm -hmm. trade them. Um, So guys like Bobby Portis are not going to have any value, but a guy like Marcus Morris will have a lot of value. And we already knew that because we had to pry him out of the Spurs' hands to even get him in the first place. But I I do want to say... He is the most important player on this team to get wins. That's correct. So do you bring this guy back? We saw the team getting the same number of wins last year. Even though we're playing... Even though he's helping us win games Mm -hmm. more now, um, it's because the team's even worse. So I think if you play all the young guys, at least get them to develop together, get Knox some more minutes, um, get Iggy some more minutes. This will literally unlock us for the rest of the year to to let all the young guys run free. And maybe off of their passion and drive alone, we see some more wins just because they might not be as good defensively, but they'll just go out there and just dog. And I just want to say I'm really proud of Teddy. This was a huge 
uh, father moment for me because um, Teddy has done a complete <laughs> Teddy has done a complete 180 on Frank Nilekina. So to have wow, him say, is, wow. so to have him say <laughs> at the beginning of the season that folks, he doesn't feel like folks, Frank is going to step slander. up this is and this is <laughs> and that fake news. and that Alfred <laughs> Payton was going to be the one to take his role. And to now, Alfred Payton's injured. First of all, don't come out my guy no, like I'm, that. I'm not coming out. You're still going for Alfred over Frank? No, 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 no. I'm saying early in the offseason. Finish your point. I'm early, early in the off season, early in the off season, uh, Teddy was. I never said Teddy was a, a, ever a hater. Frank, Teddy Thank was you. very you much me. down on Frank and his recent play style, and that he could not take <laughs> the reins as a point guard. So for Mo to ask a question like, "Who do you think is one of the most responsible people for winning on this organ on this team, and someone who can help like just get us through all these losses and get us some wins?" And for Teddy to nominate Frank even before RJ. That to me was an emotional moment just now, oh my gosh. and I'm wiping away tears just thinking about it. <laughs> wow, yeah. What was that? I'm what was that airline? What was that airline? You're blowing a lot of hot air right now <laughs> into, into this mic. <laughs> All right. Um, I just want to. I just want to clarify. I'm not a Frank hater. Um, he has a lot to work on. When I was saying those comments, he was being very limited on the offensive side and we've seen him starting to you know open up start shooting shots but he was very very passive to a point to a fault um at this point also i do want to say frank has grown yeah of of course it is but frank has developed a lot since the beginning of the Mm -hmm. season he has developed a lot he's become a guy that you really can't take off on the floor when you're on defensive you know on the defensive end and to my point alfred payton is still injured folks he looked great that first you know first game that he was actually playing for the, for us, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Alfred Payton comes back pretty good. Mm-hmm. I, for I want to go back to your your question about Marcus Morris, yes. whether or not we trade him. Yes. My my take on that is that if this is this is actually the best you'll see out of Marcus Morris. He's playing. He's he's scoring efficiently. He's mm-hmm. shooting very efficiently from the three. I think mm-hmm. it's something like forty five percent, which is insanely good. Uh, for for a guy like him, and he's scoring buckets, he's clutch, and he's very good defensively. But if the best that we can get out of Marcus Morris means we only have three wins in our belt, and he's thirty years old, he's not going to get any younger. We sell high on him because yeah. we're just I, either we lose with Marcus Morris playing great, or we lose without Marcus Morris but get some assets out of him for the future. Exactly. That's really yeah. that's really what what I would do. But um, Mo, I I think that. I agree with mm-hmm. that. I agree with that mindset, and I think we all we all pretty much agree about the sell high aspect, right? Like Marcus Morris, he's a vet. I'm sure other teams really want him. We could probably get a good good asset out of that. It's just my idea is if this guy's your best player and you trade him away, what kind of a, what kind of a message does that send to our young guys, right? Like are we just saying that, um, you know, we find vets expendable if we're not doing well? Like is that – I, I just feel like we've done that so many times mm-hmm. in the past. We've got a we've got a vet here, and then we just get rid of them, and then the young guys have to find a new vet. Like he, Marcus Morris feels like he's a leader, and you could see that he's taking guys under his wing. Like the way he talks about Frank is so endearing, and mm-hmm. he's 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 rubbing off on Frank, which I don't think is a bad thing at all for Frank's development, right? Um, and I I think that, that, that yeah. yeah I think that has some value. Um. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know the asset is probably the right way to go. I just feel like if Marcus Morris is our best player, there is also some merit to the idea of keeping him next year and bringing him back so these guys can keep growing under. You that know, is, that's a, that's a, really a very good point. Yeah. That's a very good point. 
Um, I guess you have to start thinking about the difference between getting a future asset or getting someone who can grow the current young guys. Right. And Marcus can definitely do that, while a future first rounder might not be able to. So that is a that is a very valid point. I, I got to give you that. Yeah. Well, with that being said, uh, the next game on schedule I think is tomorrow. I'm not sure. I have to check on that. I think they're facing the Cavs next tomorrow. You guys yep. Monday yeah. at seven seven thirty p.m. facing the Cavs. Oh, oh my God. The, we got to rerun this back against the Cavs. Colin Sexton. Uh, Colin Sexton show. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not trying to get destroyed again. So, to, you guys, so all listeners, check that one out. Hopefully, this would be a big test for, for Fizz to see if, we, if he learned from his mistakes. If he didn't learn from his mistakes, mm-hmm. remember, this is the game that led to the press conference. So, if, if he makes the same mistake twice, the two mid-games where – the Knicks won a game and came close to winning a game. I think they're going to be obsolete if if we get the same result as we did last time we faced the Cavs. He's I already made be... the mistake. We already <laughs> lost to the Hornets when we were up by double digits the whole game. Hold on, hold he on. We're three mistake. games out of the playoffs. Come on. Don't have that attitude. We're three <laughs> games out of the playoffs. Brooklyn Nets <laughs> got five wins from their superstar summer <laughs> show that they put on. <laughs> they got five wins. They got three. <laughs> Oh man, the Brooklyn. But nobody talking about that, right? Uh, yeah, I wonder, I, mean, I wonder how Kyrie feels being an afterthought. Like we could have easily been four and nine, and they won last night. They're five and like seven or some shit. We could have just been a game apart uh, from them, but we're two games, which isn't which isn't that bad. That's why e, it hurts. We could have given the Hornets an L and us a W and gotten yeah. two two games away from mm-hmm. playoffs, but no. Now we're just three. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, well, with that being said, uh, we're going to wrap this episode up. Thank you all for listening to this eighth edition of the season two of the Nickish show. Uh, stay tuned for a website that's coming up, still in works. We have some merchandise. We're giving away some free hats before. Uh, so all that should be on the website and some more. We're very excited to share that with you guys. If you're not following us already, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Nickish Show. Uh, give us a shout. Uh, let us know what you think about the games. And uh, stay tuned for these episodes. We'll try to release them on a weekly basis. Um, anything you you guys want to add in? No, thanks everyone for um, just sticking along throughout the season. It's gonna be a fun ride, no matter what. We're gonna see a lot of drama soon, I feel. And uh, it's been fun. It's been real. Good week. Yeah, excited to see uh, where Nickish goes from here and uh, where the Knicks go from the rest of the season. It might be a bumpy ride, but we'll be here. So keep it locked. All right, guys. So until next time, uh, follow us. And uh, thanks again for listening. Peace. See you. Peace.